Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 20, or excuse me, 19 to 25. Verses 19 to 25. I know many of you enjoyed the uh, 4th of July this past week, but then, of course, we had Plainfield Day still going on in the parade yesterday. Saw many of you there, and uh, our kids got a ridiculous amount of candy, and I think Nora maybe got the most because she was the cutest, and so people were driving by like, oh, look at her. Let's, let's give her candy, so um, I, Gary uh, Carpenter was uh, uh, on a, a, a float, and he threw storing out cheese sticks. My kids looked at that and like, oh, yeah, here. Okay, what's, you know, <laughs> it's like, so uh, it was good to be Good to be out yesterday. If you find your way to Hebrews 10, let's pray, and then we'll read our passage together this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Pardon for sin and the strength that endures peace. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us in Jesus and all that we have in him. An inheritance incorruptible, unfading, kept for us in heaven. God, may we treasure Christ. And in treasuring Christ, we'll see it lived out in our affections and what we love and, and how we interact with one another and our desires. Lord, help us to love you love our neighbor as ourselves, and to live for your honor and glory. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Carrie and I have uh, got hooked on this TV show uh, that's on Netflix, and it's called Alone. And just by the name of that show, you probably know somewhat what it's about. It's a reality show in which they take usually a dozen or so people, and they drop them off in the wilderness in a very remote, harsh location with basic supplies Uh, They've been trained, generally these individuals are wilderness experts, as they say, and the goal is to survive the longest. That's really the goal, is who can survive the longest. And when you are ready to tap out, you have a satellite phone that you can call and you say, I am tapping out, come get me. If it's too much or if it's too dangerous or you don't feel well or whatever it is, you call in and you give up. The premise and the strategy is to basically survive on your own 
in the middle of nowhere with whatever you can find. People eating things in the ground, trying to catch fish, hunting. Um, if there's any, uh, any wildlife around, this certain season we're watching, there are a lot of bears. So that is a constant something you need to be on guard for. And all these things difficult. Like I'm watching this and for one iota, I think I could do that. And then the next scene, it's like, no, no, I could not do that. Um, I could not uh, build these things. I could not uh, hunt and fish like this. I would not be able to survive. Maybe some of you would be like, I could, I could maybe give it a shot, right? But what's interesting to me is as we are watching this show and these people who are hardened, who are strong, who have the know-how, overwhelmingly, the thing that causes them to pick up that phone and to call and to say, I'm tapping out, are not the elements. It's not the lack of food. It's not the extreme conditions, but it's the lack of interaction with people and their loved ones. I just find that interesting. Here are people that have all the know-how and who are ready for this and have the desire, and, and they're doing well in some cases. One guy had this awesome cabin that he made, this sweet door, and he had this, this uh, pier that he built, and he was fishing. It was like, this guy's going to win. But he got to a certain point where he missed his wife and his son. He said, it's not worth it. Truly, the most difficult thing for them to endure in being alone is being actually alone. I thought that really interesting as I was preparing this message this week. And as we're thinking of things that pertain to the life of our church. Last week, we looked at Peter's confession and Jesus' statement that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this morning, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and the necessity and the importance of us gathering together. Some people out there say, well, I believe in Jesus. I've trusted in him as my savior. My sins are forgiven. I have my Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. Why do I need other people? Can't I just live my Christian life alone? Maybe for a little while, but ultimately, it's not good for you. And it's not what God calls us to. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, we're going to look here at how through Jesus, we have access to God to worship him just as we are in Christ. But that worship is not isolated. It's with others, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, where we are called not to neglect the gathering of ourselves together and why that is important. So this morning, as we look at these verses, this is our big idea, that through the blood of Christ, we are welcomed into the presence of God to worship without fear. Through the blood of Christ, we are welcomed into the presence of God to worship without fear. And we're going to talk about what that looks like, of how that presents itself through three commands in the second half of this section. There are three clear commands in verse 22 and verse 23 and verse 24, the let us phrases. But before we get to those commands, we must look at verses 19 through 21. This sets the stage as we think of why we worship, of, of how we can come together to worship Christ without fear. Now, all of this section builds from the beginning of Hebrews. And I know 
Pastor Stephen, uh, near the end of his time here, was preaching through the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is all about Jesus being better, being the greatest, being the most. Uh, the author, we're not sure necessarily who it is, and there's lots of ideas, and I think there's one thing in this section that might lend some credibility to Paul being uh, the author, but that's just a random rabbit trail that I love to discuss at ends that really doesn't matter. Um, but all of Hebrews is demonstrating that Jesus is better. He's, he's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He is better than the Levitical priests. He's the great high priest. He's the, he's the better and final sacrifice. All these things that the Jews would see and think that these, this is, is the epitome. This is so important and, and high and lifted up. Jesus is better than all of that. And in many times, those things were shadows, foreshadowing of, of the greater thing, which is Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a shadow and the thing that makes the shadow. Jesus is the substance. And really, that's, that's all of Hebrews 1 through chapter 10, that Jesus is better, that he is the fulfillment of all these things. And in ver chapter 7 through 10, we really come to the final sacrifice of Christ and Christ being the great high priest. And why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, in the life of Israel, the priests were the go-between God and man between the nation and God. You had to go to the priest. The priests offered sacrifices. They cleansed themselves. They were the ones working in the tabernacle and the temple. They were the, the, uh, the people that God ordained to be the intermediary between the nation and himself. And you couldn't just come to God and offer sacrifice on your own. You must do it the proper way through a priest. And here we see that Jesus is this final sacrifice, this great high priest, the one who is God and who is man, who is the one, as Timothy said, or Paul says to Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He is this great high priest. And the author comes to this point in verse 19, this therefore, and he uses this phrase before in his argumentation, but this is really like the therefore of Romans 12. Romans 1 through 11 leads to Romans 12.1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, right? Here, it's Hebrews 10.19. Therefore, since all of this we have, this is what we are to do. As we look at these three commands, these three commands are built upon the indicatives, the plain statements of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's look here briefly before we get into those three commands. He says, therefore, brothers, in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. This should take your mind to Hebrews 4, where we are to draw near. We're to, we're to come with, with confidence to receive grace and mercy that we need. It's the idea that we can come to the throne room of God. That we can come right to God ourselves and plead for Jesus is there. We have confidence. This confidence is not uh, a flippancy or something to take for granted. But this is a confidence that communicates that you have the right to be there. Have you ever been in a location where you're not sure if it's okay to be in? And you're saying, I don't know if I should be here. Or maybe you're trying to get into something, and I don't know if this is the right way. I don't know. Can we be here? What should people say? Oh, just have confidence. 
and they'll be able to be none the wiser, right? Act like you should be here, and you know what's going on. <laughs> the fact that we have confidence coming before God is not, I'm not sure if I should be here. No, you can be here. Therefore, walk in with confidence. Come to God. Draw near with confidence to enter the holy places. This holy place is the idea of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, it was in the tabernacle, right? The holy of holies, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat of God. And then in the temple, that, that same holy of holies, that, that innermost location where the great high priest or the high priest went once a year to offer sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. This place that you would walk in with fear and trepidation because it really was holy ground. But we can have confidence to enter the holy places, really the actual presence of God, and really it's not a location anymore, right? Because the tabernacle's gone, the temple's gone, Jesus has come, now we have access to the literal throne room of God. Because of Jesus, we can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by the new and living way. I love that phrase. And what does that take your mind to? The new and living way. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the living way to God. It is through Christ. He says, we, through Christ's sacrificed by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. This is the new and living way, the new covenant. Jesus says, by my blood. This is through his death, burial, and resurrection. We can come to God. And how did Jesus open this way? That he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So in the tabernacle, there was a curtain that was a door to the Holy of Holies. In the temple, there was a curtain that hung that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And if you remember, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that curtain? It was torn in two. Because now, by way of imagery, curtain, what is the entryway into the presence of God? It's not through the temple or through the tabernacle or through these sacrifices, it is through the living curtain, in a sense. It is through Jesus. That is through his flesh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, he reminds us once again of Jesus being the intermediary over the house of God. We are part of the family of God if we know Christ as our Savior. And he is our priest, and therefore we come through Jesus. This is really a summary of Hebrews, 7, of Hebrews chapter 7 through chapter 10, of what we have in Jesus. We have access to God. And you might be sitting there and you think, well, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know that. Do you realize the magnitude and the importance of what that means for you and I? We deserved to be separated from God forever in hell. Our sins deserve judgment and punishment. But through Christ, our sins are forgiven, and they are forgiven through his death, through the sprinkling of his blood, so that now we can come not through another human individual, not through ritualistic sacrifices that needed to be done over 
and over again so you're never truly clean. You ever clean your house and then realize, oh, I have to clean it again? Those of you with kids know what I'm talking about, right? They say cleaning your house with kids is like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and to think as we come to God that we don't have to continually wash and, and go through the priests and offer another sacrifices. But once and for all, Jesus has been sacrificed for us. And so we have free access to God through Christ, and we are to come with confidence. This is our position. This is what we have. We are welcomed into the presence of God to worship without fear. There is no, no wondering if I'm going to drop dead because there's a sin that I forgot to confess. There's no wondering that I'm going to drop dead because I overlooked something in my preparation, but rather no. Through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, through the sacrifice of his blood, we have access to the Father. And we can come without fear. All these things, since we have confidence and since we have a great high priest, the three commands, let us draw near with true hearts, let us hold fast with hope, and let us encourage others to love and good works. First, our first point, we are to draw near with true hearts. As we think of worshiping without fear, we are to draw near with true hearts. He says in verse 22, let us draw near. This phrase, let us draw near, I'm going to say that a lot. And before long, you're just going to keep hearing the term lettuce. And you're going to be thinking of a salad. Because that's what I kept thinking this week as I said it over and over in my mind. Let us draw near. This, this phrase, let us, is a, it, it's a, it's a first-person plural, uh, hortatory subjunctive. You're like, what in the world does that mean? It's a suggestion that is a command. Let us go to camp this week. Where it's kind of a question, but yet it's beckoning us to all do it together. It's something that we are called to do together. And he says, let us what? Draw near. We're to come near. God wants you and I to draw near to him. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And this relationship is one that is uh, intimate. God is a friend, but he's not a friend in the sense of like, hey, I friended you on Facebook and I see some pictures every once in a while. No, this is a friend who you come to at your moment of greatest need, knowing that you will not be turned away. We're going to talk about that in Sunday school and our study. We're to draw near because as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. He wants us to draw near because he is our faithful, loving father who wants what's best for his children. We are to draw near because he is the source of life. There is protection. He is our shield and our fortress. God does not save us and say, okay, your sins are forgiven, now go do whatever you want. No, it's, I've saved you, now be near to me, draw near. Come and have a relationship with me, commune with me, fellowship. It's this idea of close, intimate fellowship and friendship like a family. Draw near. And he says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This idea of a true heart is one uh, that, that is, is clean. And we see that here in the, in the fact that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
It was interesting. As I was reading a couple different commentators this week, one commentator said, this is a reminder for us to confess our sin and do all this and this. Like, yes, but that's not really the point. This is not the, the practical outflow of our faith in Christ, but this is the positional reality that our sins are washed away. That we have been sprinkled clean. Again, this language of the sacrificial system. The author is saying, hey, your hearts are sprinkled clean. You're washed with pure water. It's not talking about baptism, but rather it's picturing the ceremonial washings and the process that would have been uh, uh, done by the priests according to the law of Moses. Your hearts are made clean. They are pure. So we can draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith. That full assurance is a resolute standing of faith in God, of trusting in Him. There is no need to doubt. Come with the full assurance of faith, of all that is promised, draw near. As we worship, we are drawing near to God. We do that individually. As we spend time throughout our week praying, and reading scripture, and meditating, and we can draw near to God in a lot of different ways. In a lot of different ways. We can draw near to God when you're out mowing. We can draw near to God when you're at work. We can draw near to God as you're playing with your kids or your grandkids. We can draw near to God as you enjoy fellowship with other believers. It's this idea of coming to God and being mindful of who he is and what he's done for you. Now his goodness and kindness is shown to us through so many different ways. We have access. Use it. As individuals, And as we gather to worship, we do not need a priest, but we have a great high priest. We don't have to be ceremonially clean because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing is holding you back. Come in full assurance of the welcome that is being offered. Draw near to God. But not only do we draw near with true hearts, but we hold fast with hope. So God bids us to come. Then he also says, hold fast with hope. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This idea of holding fast is clinging, of of hanging on to, uh, of of you've got a rope and you're going to fall, and so you're hanging on for dear life. On the swing set, we have uh, the swings, but then we have a set of rings. And it's amazing how long Nora can hang on. Sometimes her face is like, but those little chubby hands of hers just cling and they're so tight. She doesn't want to let go. She's crying, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. You know, or sometimes she'll ask sister to slide the, the plastic slide over. But she is hanging on for dear life. She does not want to let go. This is the picture of clinging, of holding fast. And what do we hold fast to? He says, The confession of our hope. What is this confession of our hope? This confession is the truth of the gospel, of our faith, of of the body of doctrine that's been passed down, but specifically it starts with our faith in Christ. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. He's reminding them, do not let go of what saves you. Jesus. Hold fast. I love that hymn. He will hold me fast. 
For as much as we hold fast, he is holding us. And why? What's the motivation for us to hold fast without wavering? For he who promised is faithful. Don't let go of Christ because he, he's never going to let you go. So there's no need to even doubt. This idea of without wavering is the idea that it's good, it's secure. So hold fast and don't turn to something else. Don't turn to another source of hope or to trust, but hold fast the confession of our hope that is Jesus Christ. We can hope when the world says don't hope. He is faithful to his word. It depends on him and not on us. Why can we hope even though we may despair? Why can we hope even though the world says it's foolish? Why can we hope when we don't know the outcome? Is because the hope we have is a settled objective truth. What we're hoping in is something that is real. What we're hoping in is not something that we think might happen, but something that has already been done. And the promise of the one who has done it is secure and safe and something we can cling to for the future. God will do what he has promised to do regardless of anyone or anything. So cling to that hope. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. Draw near to God. Come near. Worship him and and hang on to his promises that he has given to us. And lastly, as we draw near and as we hold fast, we are to encourage others to love and good works. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So the command here is considering, thinking. This is an active verb. This isn't passive. It's saying, think. How can you do this? Something I often tell my older two kids is, use your brain. What here is a good idea? What's a bad idea? What can you do? How can you help mom? Okay, Is that a good idea? Think. Consider. And here the author is saying, let us consider what? What are we thinking about? We are to be actively thinking how we can encourage. The idea of stir up is literally like the idea of a pot, of stirring up, of getting things unsettled. To love and good works, to encourage one another to love and good works. One another. That phrase is so important. It's used close to 50 times in the New Testament with specific commands of things as believers we are called to do. We're to forgive one another, love one another, serve one another, submit to one another, greet one another with a holy kiss, fellowship with one another, all these different one another's. And here we see that we are to encourage one another. The second phrase, encouraging one another. And how do we do this? Well, we actively think to encourage or stir up one another to love and good works. Love and good works. Here is the outflow, the practical application of our faith. It's the Ephesians 2.10 to Ephesians 2.8 and 9. 
We are saved through God's grace, the gift that it is. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Faith in Christ never stops there, but faith in Christ leads to good works, leads to encouraging, loving other believers, loving the body. The first command you can do on your own. You can draw near. The second command, you can hold fast the hope on your own. But this one, you cannot do on your own. For how can you encourage others to love and good works by yourself? It's necessary for you to gather together. And that's what he says. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Already in the first century, it was the habit and pattern of some not to gather with other believers. And you might be thinking, here's a classic pastor's soapbox. Come to church. Come to church. We say come to church because it's what the Bible says. Gather together with other believers around the gospel. This isn't my idea or Pastor James' idea or, you know, church father's idea. This is, this is in God's word that we are to gather together on a regular basis, drawing near, holding fast the confession of our faith, and encouraging one another to love and good works. Why? Because we need it. Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been inside your own head? Have you ever gone through something difficult and you haven't talked about it? And some of you might think, well, I'm not a person who talks about it. I know, I get that. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I don't necessarily talk about my feelings all the time. Some of you talk about your feelings maybe a little bit too much. But it's good for us to gather together to encourage one another. And we need one another because we balance each other out. And hopefully, Lord willing, if we are clinging to Christ and seeking to live for him, we can come and we can share our despair and our frustrations and maybe our anger and, and our sadness or, or the thoughts that we're thinking. And hopefully somebody looks at us and says, that's not true. Sometimes we think things that are lies. We lie to ourselves. We say, well, I bet this person thought that or that person thought this or this person is thinking that. Those aren't true statements. And sometimes we need to be told, that's not true. That, that's not That's not." You don't, you don't know that. That's something you're projecting. Maybe sometimes we come together and, and you are cast down and you're, you're struggling and, and we think that nobody knows. But yet sharing this, we are called to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who re weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So we need to come together to bear one another's burdens. This is all fleshing out this idea of encouraging one another, of stirring up one another to love and good works. Together, we can do more. It's hard to do a vacation Bible school by yourself. Um, it's easy to do it when you have a good group of people. It's, it's hard to do other things that it would just overwhelm a single individual, but as a body, when we come together to minister and love and serve one another, it's amazing how God uses that. We meet together. And as we meet together, we are to do so all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the day? It is the return of Jesus Christ. 
And he says, as that day is drawing near, for every day that we are alive is one day closer to the return of Jesus. As we gather together, we are to remind each other of this hope. That this isn't it. That there's more to come. That there will be a day when Christ returns and he makes all things right. The the consummation of our faith. We encourage one another. Had a conversation with a church member just this past week. We were talking and about things, and, and they mentioned, ah, think about the hope. Maybe Christ will return. Maybe he will. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's good to be reminded of that as we gather together. Here there is implied that for some reason, the believers in the first century were neglecting to meet together, whether it was out of uh, lack of perceived need, whether it was persecution, whether it was difficulty, whatever it was, the habit of some was not to meet together. And the author says, no, you need to meet together. God has created you in relationship, in community. You need other believers. Think of the imagery that God uses in the Bible of the church. He calls the church a body. Imagine But it would be nice to have some legs. Maybe a stomach, a mouth, some toes to keep some balance. The body is made up of all kinds of things. You need each other. Think of a building. If you had one two by four, that's all you had, you wouldn't build much. But as you have a building, you have a foundation, and you have plumbing, and electrical, and, and a roof, and, and different other structures, and you have finishing things, all kinds of things that make up a building. And then there's a bride and the bridegroom, right? We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We need the bridegroom. There's a relationship inherent there as well. God has designed us, has created us to be together, and that is expressed through the local church, that we encourage one another to love and good works. There are so many things that can draw us away from the faithful gathering. And they're not bad things. Family, sports, other activities, they're they're not necessarily bad things. And on a given day, yeah, I'd love to go do that. But it needs to be a priority in our lives for gathering together as a body of believers because in doing so, we encourage one another. We remind ourselves of the hope of the gospel and we rejoice knowing that the day approaches. We need one another to help us persevere to live out our faith there's accountability and love and encouragement so we draw near we hold fast and we encourage others as church members we need to remember our standing before god is securing christ so take advantage of the opportunity to draw near and hold fast take advantage to come to god, uh, come to god through christ through prayer through bible reading through talking with others, of worshiping, and hold fast to the hope. And as church members, we need to be actively thinking how we can encourage others in their walk with Christ. Have you actively thought how you can encourage others to love and good works? Of who you can be a blessing to, or who you can bring along? Hey, let's go do this together. Let's, let's, let's go visit this person. Let's 
Uh, can you help me uh, teach this Sunday school lesson? Whatever it may be. Actively think how we can encourage others in their walk with Christ. So come to church. <laughs> Gather with church people. Commit yourself to membership. Covenant together with us as we seek to make disciples for God's glory. In our Constitution, the duties of a church member include regular attendance at church gatherings. You might think, well, yeah. But today, commitment, I think, is as an all-time low. A recent study showed that the average church member across evangelical churches attend church two out of the four Sundays of a month. And they consider that faithful attendance. I don't want to guilt anybody. I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances in life that preclude certain things along those lines. But what if our desire was to gather together more often? Or if we love God and love the people of God, we will want to be together. So let us, through the blood of Christ, come into the presence of God to worship without fear. And in doing so, draw near hold fast, and encourage others for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship and to sing, to lift our voices together. God, help us to encourage others to love and good works through conversations on Sundays and throughout the week. And Lord, when we come together, we realize this is how you've designed it, Lord, that we come together and we admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we speak the truth to each other in love. We help each other grow up into mature manhood, into the, the body of Christ, as Ephesians said. Lord, that we not be too tossed to and fro, but that we would cling to the rock. And may we, Lord, as a body, continue to display this maturity, this Christ-likeness. Lord, we thank you for all that we have in Christ being sprinkled with his blood and washed clean with pure water, we can come through him the living way to your very presence. We pray all this in his name.